Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and I want to thank NetHealth for sponsoring today's episode. So NetHealth wants to help you maintain strong relationships with your patients, so they have created the Redoc Patient Portal, which provides a secure line of communication between, your, between you and your patients. You can video conference for telehealth, you have secure messaging, you can share documents and photos, and your patients have 24-7 secure on-demand access to their therapy health information without phone calls and voice messages. To learn more about the Redoc Patient Portal through NetHealth, contact them at redoc, that's R-E-D-O-C, at nethealth.com. Now on to today's episode. I am so happy to welcome Dr. Camila Phillips to the podcast today. So she is a board-certified obstetrician and gynecologist, wife, mother, and lifelong women's health advocate. Since high school, she has been involved in local, national, and international organizations aimed at advancing women's health care issues through advocacy and direct patient care. Dr. Phillips graduated from Stanford University with a degree in human biology with an emphasis in women's health and human sexuality. After graduation, she worked at the San Francisco Department of Public Health in the AIDS office as a research assistant on HIV vaccine studies. She relocated to Los Angeles to attend the University of Southern California's Keck School of Medicine. During medical school, she received numerous community service awards. She was privileged to travel to Ghana, Cuba, and Tanzania on health missions during this time. Upon completion of medical school, she attended a competitive OBGYN residency at the New York University School of Medicine. She also served on an emergency medical mission in Port-au-Prince, Haiti to provide women's health care during the 2010 earthquake. Dr. Phillips is an educator, mentor, and expert in women's health issues. She loves to help women and girls feel comfortable with their bodies so that they can be aware of changes or new developments. Her interests include minority women's health and health care disparities, lactation, sexual, and menopause medicine. Dr. Phillips is a member of the International Board of Lactation Consultants and speaks Spanish. She enjoys teaching her residents and medical students. Her guilty pleasure includes reality TV, as is mine. As a real-world alumni, she has used this platform to travel nationwide to discuss domestic violence, smoking cessation, and other health-related issues. She loves a good bargain, flowers, and deep tissue massages. So on this episode, we talk about the impacts of COVID-19 on pregnancy and postpartum care, factors that impact the United States maternal mortality rates. Spoiler alert, they're not good for the developed world six ways to optimize your health during pregnancy, and the importance of interprofessional collaboration with our postpartum patients. So a huge thank you to Dr. Phillips for coming on and sharing all of her knowledge with us. And uh, everyone enjoy. Hi, Dr. Phillips. Welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you on. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. 
Yeah, and this is the first time I'm having an OBGYN on the program. I've had lots of physical therapists who work uh, with women's health and pelvic health. So this is really exciting to get a different point of view uh, on women's health and on pelvic health. So thank you. Okay. And now before we get into the meat of the interview, we are still living in a pandemic, COVID-19 is still here. It has not mysteriously disappeared or vanished. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there are a lot of women who are getting pregnant, who are living through pregnancy at this time, and who might be a little nervous, a little concerned about what uh, what can happen during their pregnancy. Is Can COVID affect it? So what I would love for you is any advice for those pregnant women in the time of COVID? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one thing I really try and impress on patients um, that is absolutely unique to OBGYN is despite what's going on in the world, whatever chaos is going on, women still have babies, women still go into labor, women still take healthy babies home. So for us in particular, um, we've made some minor, no, I shouldn't say minor, they're they're significant. We've made some changes in how we deliver care in the hospital setting. But for us, it's really been, you know, not so huge of a change because, uh, you know, Hurricane Sandy, earthquakes in Haiti, I've been through both of those. We still deliver excellent care to women. So um, one thing I would ask them to do is just really take a deep breath. And while things are going on around us, remember that their primary concern is to take care of themselves so that they can take care of their baby. Um, I have told patients that a little bit of their OB care um, is changing. So we might have a uh, a few fewer visits, but really the important things. We will always make sure that we hit the important time points and hallmarks of a pregnancy so you won't miss anything. Um, I've been telling them that labor and delivery has changed a little bit, and I think this um, change is pretty much coming across country, but Whereas it used to be a time where, you know, family, extended family was welcome. It's important that they recognize now that um, only one or maybe two people will be allowed to be present for labor and delivery. Um, In our hospital in particular, both moms and um, support, um, support family are being asked to wear masks. We do check moms for coronavirus. We use the nasal swab. The extended family is not tested, but they're expected to keep their mask on. And um, most of the time our moms are coming back negative, but if they do come back positive, you know, we have a discussion and education with them as to what it's going to be like knowing that they're now coronavirus positive and going to be taking home a newborn. So we talk about those things. Um, but for all intents and purposes, women are coming in, they're having healthy, safe deliveries, both C-sections and vaginal deliveries. Um, their hospital stay, we've shortened a little bit, uh, in New York, we're going back to keeping women two days or four days, but, um, other places in the country are, are shortening the hospital stays in an effort to get, um, women home safely and so that they can use hospital resources for the people that need them. Um, 
but we're having healthy and safe deliveries. Um, there was a panic, I think, amongst the pregnant community at the beginning of the pandemic and everyone wanted to have a home delivery. Um, that still continues to not be the uh, best response to this. It is still safest to deliver in a hospital um, or a birthing center, certainly not at home, um, to have best outcomes. Uh, we still recommend that women breastfeed. It's the best way to feed your baby, despite coronavirus, even if you were previously infected. Um, and when women go home, I just ask them to be considerate of the new immune system in their house, right? So limiting visitors, washing their hands. Um, if people come over, keeping them, not being afraid to say, hey, keep your face mask on while you're with the baby or around the baby. And really using the technology that we have to their benefit. So while it's not what we're used to, but used to doing, but grandparents meet their babies over FaceTime or Zoom now. And um, that's not going to be forever. But, you know, if you have people who are unable to quarantine and can guarantee that they're negative, I ask them to defer visiting. Yeah, thank you. That's all really great advice. And I should have mentioned in the beginning that uh, we are both located in New York City. Um, and so right, right so it's now different. <laughs> it's different. Yeah. So obviously New York was the epicenter of the pandemic, certainly in the United States, if not the world at one point, um, we have now, uh, our numbers have gone down, but the safety for the, uh, pregnant and new moms has, has not, is that correct? Right. Yeah. Right. So we are still on top of uh, new infections, preventing infections in the hospital, the doctors, the nurses, the um, uh, people who clean your rooms, we're all washing our hands, wearing gloves, keeping our mask on because it is our priority that you come in healthy and that you leave healthy. Yeah, perfect. All right, well, thank you for that. And hopefully that can put, uh, if there's any pregnant moms or uh, other healthcare practitioners that are working with pregnant women, kind of, give them a little bit more information to pass along or to kind of keep in their heads. Yeah. Okay. So now let's switching gears slightly here. Uh, mm -hmm. I'd love to talk about uh, maternal mortality rates mm -hmm. in the United States. Now in the United States, we know unfortunately that we do have a very high maternal mortality rate amongst uh, advanced countries or I, what's the best word for that? Advanced countries? Is that the right word? Developed countries, Developed industrialized countries. countries. Yeah. Like we know what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. You get yeah. it, right? Okay. Yeah. So the questions that I have are what populations are most affected? And then what, what in your opinion, do you feel like needs to be done to improve those ma maternal mortality rates? Yeah. So this is a big... Um, <laughs> big bucket, but I am firmly under the belief that we can, as a nation, as a country, um, walk and chew gum at the same time to make these rates better. So to answer your, the first part of your question, um, we have plenty of data that show that Black women, African-American women in particular, are most vulnerable during pregnancy, um, labor and delivery and postpartum times. The rates of increased death 
can be anywhere from five to time five to seven times higher than um, uh, their white counterpart. And these rates are abysmal. Like it, for a developed country to have such a discrepancy in healthcare um, is really um, saddening and frankly, just un- disgusting. It's unacceptable. Um, but there are other ethnic groups that are also at risk that, you know, we always talk about black and white and really this country is so diverse, but um, our Native American population is also um, significantly um, affected by maternal mortality rates that are poor, as well as um, Alaska. We always forget about Alaska. So African-American women, Native American women, and Alaska women, and it's complicated. It is a combination of um, access to care. Um, It's unfortunate that we seem like we're talking about the same things over and over, but access is a big issue. Um, We live in the biggest city in the United States, but, you know, Manhattan alone, what, the island of Manhattan has four hospitals? Well, you know? there, used, there used to be more. There right? used to but, be more. Can you imagine? Yeah. Um, but some of our outlying communities that um, are uh, more ethnically diverse or uh, Latino or African-American have far fewer hospitals. And certainly in those hospitals, the resources aren't comparable to anything that you would see um, in Manhattan. So along with, you know, access, there's uh, hospitals, there's doctors, Um, there's birthing centers, all of these are less often found in lower resource places. So Mm -hmm. access is a big one. Um, Education, um, both on the part of the health field and of patients themselves is a problem. I think we're starting to really get some traction on the African-American population, helping them understand that this is a very uh, critical time in their life. And so they have to be hypervigilant about blood pressure, um, weight gain, um, diabetes, all of things, all the things that can be triggers for um, issues in pregnancy. Um, Those are the big things that stand out. Um, access and education. And do you also find that, and and I find this in other aspects of healthcare, uh, especially when it comes to feeling pain, that oftentimes women are not believed as much as men are. And and that is in other parts of healthcare, certainly true. Mm -hmm. Do you find Mm -hmm. that that women maybe during pregnancy or even post-pregnancy, like maybe the, the day they gave birth, if they're they're trying to explain things that are going on and perhaps they're not being believed and are just yeah brushed to the side. So that um, I think is absolutely the case for a lot of um, the issues that women experience around um, the maternal period. Um, And it's not limited to women. Um, It also crosses ethnic and socioeconomic um, boundaries we have a real issue, and, and I'm part of the establishment, right? I'm part of the medical community, so I feel free to air our dirty laundry. But I feel that we have a real issue with bias in medicine. And it we talk about racial bias and how that can impact Black people, but we have a bias against women. 
we have a bias against women and you know, she's being hysterical. She's being dramatic. Her pain's really not that big. Um, women and our discomfort and our needs are routinely downplayed and even by other women because we've sort of um, ingrained in our head that, you know, women tend to be more dramatic, whatever. Um, we downplay the needs of poor patients who come in. Oh, you know, she's just being loud for no reason or, oh, that's just how they're. So this isn't just an issue of women. It, it, uh, um, it goes across class. It goes across ethnicities. But for us, when we're pregnant, it has to be addressed and highlighted because when a woman is saying something isn't right, something isn't right. And that should be taken seriously because in the postpartum period, um, we get lucky a lot of times because women are generally young and healthy, but when things go bad in obstetrics, they happen quickly and they, it's, it's big. Um, so for example, if a woman is like, my bleeding is kind of heavy and say, maybe she just delivered a baby. A woman could easily lose one to two liters of blood in like a few minutes. Um, so what? we have really, yeah, like, I had a postpartum hemorrhage the other day and I was like, this is impressive. When you see what the body can do, um, especially in labor, it happens quickly. And so it's incumbent upon us as um, healthcare providers to take women seriously. And then I would also think there is, and again, I don't know if this is true or not, but I know kind of where I come from, from more looking at the pain world and from my own experiences is I personally would downplay my own pain so as not to bother someone. Right. And, and do you feel like in the world of OBGYN, if you're going for pregnancy, like, do you have to kind of really educate those patients to say, listen, if you're feeling something doesn't feel right, like you need to speak up and right. don't feel like you're bothering us. Have you encountered that? I have encountered that and it's um, really incumbent upon all of us to relearn these narratives that we've picked up just growing up in the United States of like not being the complainer, not being the squeaky wheel, not rocking the boat. Like those all have negative connotations, right? Mm -hmm. But in the obstetric space, when you don't speak up, we can have really negative, horrible outcomes. Um, so part of my experience with patients is to listen to what they're saying, um, really repeat back what they're saying, like, okay, I hear you're having X, Y, and Z. Did I get that right? And if it's something that is quote unquote normal in the um, space of a you know, a growing uterus or a growing body. Part of my job is to really provide education to help them manage their expectations for what they should expect um, a, a growing uterus, um, growing weight gain, swelling, what they should expect from their body if it's the first time they've been pregnant or the sixth time they've been pregnant. You know, all the pregnancies are different. And if we... Um, have a clear understanding, her giving me her complaint, me giving her feedback on what I think she's saying, and then giving her the anticipatory guidance I think she needs, and we still have an issue, then it's incumbent on me to escalate it and really make sure that there's nothing there that's going to hurt her. 
Yeah, great. That's perfect. And I love the kind of handling of expectations and monitoring expectations um, because that goes such a long way when, especially if it's your first time or or not, like you said, mm-hmm. your first or your sixth time, but kind of knowing what to expect at certain times is very comforting. And so then as if you're the patient, then you can say, oh, you know, she said this might happen, but I'm not, you know, it's not happening or it's going above and beyond what she said. So maybe this is time that I reach out and contact my physician on this. Exactly. There are times where um, you may need to reach out to your doctor. And so knowing when those times might be is really helpful. Exactly. So when a woman leaves the office and, you know, it'll be maybe a month before I see her again, I I tell her, you know, this is what I think might happen. It's okay if it doesn't happen to you. But in the next four weeks, you might expect, you know, your pant size to change, Um, general discomfort in this area. You might feel something fluttering in your belly, like giving her those points to, look out for, and again, managing those expectations. And I'll get a phone call. Hey, this is maybe more, I'm having this plus this. Mm -hmm. Is this in the realm of normal? No, it's not. Come in. You know, we can um, really help women out by giving them education because it's empowering. um, And it helps us do a better job taking care of you. Yeah. And it also keeps people away, I would think, from Dr. Google or falling mm. down the rabbit mm. hole of do- how many Dr. Googles do you get? I, you know what? I can't even <laughs> more. <laughs> Just so many Dr. Googles. Well, Dr. Oh, Google Lord. said. I or, can't even more. Oh. Or my Facebook friend Sally said. Yes. Yes. I have me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, as patients, um, to please stay off. And it's funny because when their partner comes with them, the partner inevitably just looks at them and like glares at them because they know that they're on Google or they're on these, you know, small chat rooms where everyone is um, on the level 10 when the patient's issue is actually maybe a one or zero. And so it freaks her out. Um, Yeah. I encourage patients to stay off of Google um, because yes, there are some times when it might answer your question, but really we're aiming for individualized, personalized care and Google doesn't offer that to you. And so um, I really ask my patients to stay off of it. That's what their visits are for, um, to write down the questions as they go. And honestly, it's so funny. They'll come in with like, say there's five questions just in the scope of time, giving them the anticipatory guidance, like by the time they actually get to the appointment, they maybe only have two questions because they're like, oh yeah, she said that was going to happen. Or, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it helps and, to stay off Google. Yes, 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 yes. And now I think we've touched a little bit, I think on this, but let's see if we can delve into this more. And that are, what are ways women can stay healthy throughout their pregnancy so that maybe it can contribute to a decrease in the maternal mortality rate, even if it's just chinking away at the tiny little bit, because like you said, it's a big bucket with a lot of stuff going into it. But Mm -hmm. if there are ways that women can, like you said, empower themselves to stay healthy and give themselves 
best chance. Um, mm -hmm. What advice do you give to, to women to stay healthy? And on that note, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor and be right back with Dr. Phillips' answer. This episode is brought to you by NetHealth, helping you maintain strong relationships with your patients. The Redoc Patient Portal provides a secure line of communication between you and your patients. Conduct virtual visits and have follow-up conversations with your patients via secure messaging when it's convenient for you. Patients have 24-7 secure, on-demand access to their therapy health information without phone calls and voice messages. Video conferencing for telehealth, secure messaging, share documents and photos, and view health information and appointments. To learn more, contact them at redoc at nethealth.com. Yeah, so in thinking about this, I have six points that I usually share with patients, so I'll go over them um, really quickly. But my first point is to find a doctor that you trust. Um, I'm really big on that. I'm really big on that. I tell people to find someone that they trust because inevitably, you know, most pregnancies are fine. But if we get into some mess, I need to know that you know that I am your advocate and I am on your side. Um, and if you hesitate or you don't feel like you can trust me 100%, I'm going to ask that you explore other, find another doctor because I want you to have the best experience possible. And I even say this with my GYN patients. Like if I tell a patient, you know, I really think you need surgery for this. I don't sign them up for surgery that day. I let them go into the, the world do their due diligence, meet with three other doctors. And I promise you, I have not had a patient not come back because they trust me. Um, so that's a big thing. Find someone you trust. Um, I think it's really important that patients meet um, with their doctor frequently, meaning that you come to your visits, you got to show up, right? So we can get data from you, like your blood pressure, your weight, um, how you're feeling, checking the baby regularly, blood work, this data that we're collecting at every visit. And it might not sound like a lot, it's 15 minutes, but it actually gives us a picture of where we're going with your health. So that's important. Um, I ask my patients also to stay active and exercise. I am not sure why there's this misconception that you should be sedentary during pregnancy. First trimester, I get it. That progesterone knocks everyone out. They're on the couch. They can't, you know, they're nauseous. They don't want to eat. I get that. But for the most part, when you feel healthy in pregnancy, I need you taking care of yourself. And that means exercise and eating healthy. And patients are, oh, no, but the baby really wanted the chili cheese fries. <laughs> like, no, no, did, no, she didn't. Did the baby request did that? Did the baby really? <laughs> yeah. Really? Did she send you a text message? How did you get that? Um, so really encouraging. Like, if you would feed your six-month-old, you know, a Coke and chili cheese fries for lunch, that's a separate conversation. But, you know, trying to do as best they can. Um, in terms of staying active and eating healthy. Um, education is a big piece for me. Every time they leave, I'm like, okay, we're entering this phase. These are the major risks for this phase. So um, I need you to go home and look at this website and read two minutes about diabetes because you're doing your diabetic test and this is why it's important. Um, uh, being flexible is huge. Uh, 
patients, I think, often have the misconception that physicians or that I control their pregnancy. And really, I see myself as just like a tour guide, ushering your baby safely into this world. And so it's important that they're flexible to whatever the results come back as whatever the ultrasounds tell us, however the baby is behaving in labor, that they're flexible. Um, in my industry, I'm not sure what the co corollary will be with physical therapy, but people who come in with very strict demands as to how they expect their process to be are the main people who have complications, <laughs> as opposed to just letting us do our job to get you guys to the finish line. Um, so being flexible is really important. And then my last one is to not refuse life-saving treatments. Um, we was in the, I told you the other day I had a postpartum hemorrhage and I might back in my head, I was like, this woman's going to bleed. So as we were pushing, um, or when she got admitted, I was like, you know, this is the type of situation where I see X, Y, Z happening. And when X, Y, Z happened and she lost all that blood, when I came to her about needing a blood transfusion, she was already on board to not refuse treatment that could possibly save her life. Um, so not refusing like blood uh, products or blood pressure management, those are, or increased surveillance. Those are the big things um, that hurt and cause women to lose their life. So really not refusing important treatment. Yeah, and, and I think, thank you. Those are great uh, ways that women can stay healthy. And, you know, as you were saying, they need to be flexible. And I always go back to movies where they show the woman going in and she's got a birth plan and it has to be this and it has to be this and there's no flexibility around that. Um, so I could see how that could be really dangerous if you're going mm -hmm. in with that kind of a mindset of, you know, I'm, I have to have this baby without any drugs and have to have it vaginally when in fact, there might be some complications where that's just yeah. not possible. And it where it's just not possible. And, or advised or safe. And yeah. again, we don't decide that, right? The baby's position, the mom's uterus, the pelvis, like all of these things that are outside of our control decide that. We're just here to make sure you both come out on the other side, okay? And I can't underscore that um, I cannot underscore that. Like, I don't have anywhere to be. We, there's, you know, this misconception that doctors always have like tickets so to the busy. theater. Yeah. <laughs> yes, darling, I have to be, you know, be at the opera tonight. No, we don't have anywhere to be. We're here for your baby. But, you know, we, we have to have some flexibility. Like, let us just do our job and we'll get you through this. Yeah, I think that's great. And then, of course, I always love the, uh, third point, which is stay active and exercise and move during your pregnancy. Um, and mm -hmm. I think I'll give a quick plug for physical therapists. I think this is where physical therapists and women, uh, there are a lot of physical therapists who are pelvic health specialists and who work specifically with uh, pregnant and postpartum women. And this is where I think we can actually maybe make an impact in that maternal mortality rate as physical therapists. Yeah, yeah. I... Um spent the first part of my career in a group dynamic and it was very hard for 
<sighs> us to think outside the box um, with complementary um, specialties that can help make this process of pregnancy, which is physically mind-blowing. Like people, if you haven't necessarily been pregnant before or been in an intimate relationship with someone who's going through pregnancy, you cannot imagine how physically difficult it is to have a baby. And so um, when I was bringing up the, the options of like physical therapy, no, 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 she's fine. The body heals itself. I'm like, but it's not like, look at her walk, you know, um, look at her diastasis. <laughs> like, come on, like, let's think outside the box. So in my new practice, I'm making um, much more of an effort and, and actively establishing relationships with people that, okay, you're having this issue now, let's connect with the physical therapist because, you know, the hips give women like the most trouble. The hips, maintaining flexibility, um, labor and delivery, the act of pushing literally separates your pelvis, you know? It's not, it, of course you have issues with your pelvis afterwards. Um, lacerations, you know, women who undergo episiotomies, that pelvic floor, has literally hit the wall and back. Yeah. So um, to not expect that um, pregnancy is 100% the most physical activity you can do with your body just really undermines and belittles the whole process. And so um, part of my process now is to send women to physical therapy postpartum, even if it's just for one visit, so they can have an idea of how to improve their core, how to keep their pelvic girdle um, in shape and engaged, because most women have more than one kid, so that's a lot of you know trauma to the body, um, and we can do better. We know that it works. We know that it's available, but it's up to us to provide the education and the next steps for them uh, to heal. Yeah, well said. Well said, I love it. And now as we wind things up here, um, what would be, what would you like the audience to take away from our discussion today? I think that it would be helpful to um, really understand that most doctors do their best to provide women with excellent obstetrical and gynecological care. I think that a good doctor is really open to receiving um, information from other specialties, in this case, uh, PT, physical therapy, as um, modalities that can complement what we offer that's not um, uh, in opposition to what we do, so that if we could somehow strengthen the relationship between obstetrics and physical therapists, everyone would win. Like yeah, it's a win-win-win. It's for all of us, the yeah. patient, the obstetrician, the physical therapist. Um, the patient's so, family. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, you know, pregnancy is, is the real deal. Um, it affects literally you physically, emotionally, psychologically, and sometimes the physical impact of sometimes a lot of times the physical impacts 
the emotional and the psychological and your sense of well-being and health is so impacted by like how you physically look and feel and you guys have a direct <laughs> you know you have the keys to helping us you know improve women physically so if we could strengthen that relationship and not see it as so oppositional i think it's a, a triple win for everyone yeah i agree and the last question i have is one that i ask everyone and it's mm -hmm. given given where you are now in your life and in your career what mm -hmm. advice would you give to your younger self? Younger self. I, so I'm out of residency 10 years and I'm just starting my first private practice venture. And looking back, I probably should have done this five years ago. Um, and yet I had a lot of other things going on. I was like birthing my own children and, and that kind of thing. But at the root of it, honestly, I was scared. I was scared of failing. I was scared of the unknown. I was scared of doing uh, things that I'd never been taught before, like formally. Um, I didn't consider myself an entrepreneur. All these like negatives, right? Negative, negative, negative. Didn't, haven't, shouldn't, wouldn't, couldn't. Like, and I would give my younger self like a kick in the butt <laughs> to like just get out there and you, you don't know unless it seems so cliche but you don't know unless you try and when you're young there's nothing to lose um except the fear that's like this imaginary fear that's holding you back um it's a time to be brave and courageous and adventurous and so i would probably give my younger self um like the little push off the ledge um the encouragement that i needed to have started this venture and experience earlier and i would just tell her to be fearless what do you got to lose you can always, you know, move back in with your parents. Like, that's what we're doing these days, right? Anyway. <laughs> so, like, why be afraid to fail? Like, that just, now it's so funny because it. I think about it because I'm in it now. But what did I have to lose? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. 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 Like, time, but that would have been a learning you know, you would have learned. So it wouldn't have learned. been a waste. Yeah. Yeah. It's not ever a waste. So, um, yeah, I would, I would have jumped sooner. Excellent advice. Thank <laughs> you for that. And now where can people find out about you, about your new practice? Yeah. Where are you on social media? What, where can we find you? So on social media, my main page is Dr. Camila says, and that's Camila with a K A M E E L A H. Dr. Camila says, my practice page is Cala Women's Health. Cala like the flower. Um, I love the like beautiful erotic nature of the Cala Lily. So um, that's my practice, Cala Women's Health. I'm on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, but also available for telehealth visits, physical visits throughout coronavirus. I've been on the grind in this office. So taking new patients, um, of course. Awesome. Happy to see them. And for everyone listening, we'll have all of this information, one click straight to uh, all of uh, the practice and the social media at the 
podcast.healthywealthysmart.com under this episode. It'll all be in the show notes. So if you didn't get it, don't worry, you can get it that way. Um, so thank you so much for coming on. This was a great uh, episode, and I think you've given a lot of wonderful advice to healthcare providers and to women uh, who may be pregnant or want to be pregnant, mm -hmm. or maybe has already been pregnant. There's a lot of stuff here. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yay. Thank you for having me. Anytime. And everyone, thank you so much for listening. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. A big thank you to Dr. Phillips. And of course, thank you to our sponsor, NetHealth. So NetHealth has created the Redoc Patient Portal, which provides a secure line of communication between you and your patients. Conduct virtual visits and have follow-up conversations with your patients via secure messaging when it's convenient for you. Patients have 24-7 secure, on-demand access to their therapy health information without phone calls and voice messages. To learn more, contact them at redoc, that's R-E-D-O-C, at nethealth.com. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.